I look forward to speaking to you today about grace being poured out on us. One of my favorite topics is grace, and I want to talk today about this grace that God pours out in your life and what a joy and power and strength it is for each and every one of us. Our text is from 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, and we're going to see the verses that come before and afterwards in just a moment, but here's where I'm basing our lesson this morning. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know, this grace that's poured out for us, the source of that is Jesus Christ, right? What a great source that we have in Jesus Christ. And notice this pouring out on me is abundantly. Of course it is, right? Every time you think about God and what he does for us, it's always in an abundant way. It's overflowing. It's generous. It's uh, from that's all those areas of just that overflowing, abundant grace poured out. That's the amount of it. And I love what Paul one time said about that abundance of God. It's more than we can ask, think, or ever imagine. You think about that. Whatever you ask for, it's more than that. You know, whatever you think about, it's more than that. Whatever you think about God and think about His grace, it's always more than you can ever imagine. That's sort of abundant grace that's poured out for us. And we're thankful for it because salvation comes by grace through faith according to the love that God has for us. This abundant grace, this overflowing love, the generous promises that He has for each and every one of us. Um, so what does that mean? What does it mean that grace is poured out on us? What does that look like in your life and in mine? How can we know that? That's why I like 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 through 17, because if you follow along with me in the reading, you will see how this grace just comes through everything that's mentioned here in these verses. Now, the word grace is only used one time, but see if you can identify how this abundant grace is there as I read this. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason I was shown mercy, that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and have eternal life. Now to the King eternal, it's immortal, visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that great? Grace poured out on me. So before we begin looking at these verses, as I was studying these verses for this week about God pouring his grace out on me, two other verses came to mind that I, I think I want to connect, well, I, I know I'm going to connect to this. And the first one is found in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 where it says that no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for you. Isn't that abundant grace poured out for us? His abundance of grace, His overflowing love, the generous promise to us. No eye's seen it, no ears heard it, no mind's conceived it. It's what God has prepared for you, to pour out His grace upon you. Here's another one I want to tie into it from Joshua 1. Moses has died, and God had given all these promises, generous promises, out of his abundant love and his 
overflowing grace to the Hebrew people and told them they're going to go into the promised land. You remember that? Moses dies. Joshua is now the leader. And God appears to Joshua and says the very same thing that he said to Moses. I want you to listen to this. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I have what? See, I've given to you. So here it is. This is yours. This is more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. But you got to walk in it. Wherever your foot goes, you'll possess it. Now remember, every step they took, they were taking a step into occupied territory. There was not a part of that land that was free just to walk in. It was occupied. It was possessed by someone else. But God told them through his generous promise and his abundant love that if they would walk in faith wherever they went, they would now possess that land. Do you get it? This abundant love of God, this overflowing grace, this generous promise of God required action, didn't it? We oftentimes think about grace as being something that's passive, but grace is active. <clears throat> it's causing us by faith to step out, to take those steps. Is there any place in your heart that's still possessed by someone other than God? Is there anything in your life that you need to turn over to God? Well, how's it going to get there? By grace, okay, but you got to walk it. you got to possess it. you got to claim it in the name of the Lord, that possession that's there. So when you go back to 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, look at this generous promise again, this overflowing love of God, this abundant grace that's poured out on us. It's poured out on us with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's an active faith that's there. Now, what does that mean? Well, go back to verse 12. When the grace of God is poured out on you, it gives you incredible strength. See, grace is strength, isn't it? The strength of the Lord. And notice this, when you look at that, I'm thankful for it. Look at that next verse. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for the strength, see, that he's given me. That he's given me this strength. That I'm thankful for that strength, the grace. Do you need the strength of the Lord this morning? Is there an area of your life? Do you need the strength of the Lord? God's grace poured out on you gives you that strength that you need in your tough times. In your times of decisions, your time of stress times when you're discouraged. Just keep in mind when Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, he found Timothy discouraged and stressed out and worried. In fact, he told Timothy, you know, that spirit of fear you got to get rid of. You got to walk in faith. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, of timidity, but he's giving that a power of strength. Do you need to hear that today? Has faith taken hold of your heart? I mean, has fear taken hold of your heart? more fearful than you've ever been in your life. Grace of God, strength of God brings faith into that. We need strength to overcome temptation, don't we? We need strength in times of trials. We need strength in times of difficult relationships. We need that strength in times of changes in the season of our life. But God has promised us that he'll give us that strength. Now here's a great passage from Nehemiah. And here's what Nehemiah says about the Lord. The joy of the Lord is what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, joy encourages the heart, right? When you are discouraged and you, are, you need some cheering up, joy will do that, right? Need any cheering up? <laughs> need encouragement? Joy does that. But joy does more than that. Joy is strength. When you're down and depressed and stressed, you're weak, aren't you? 
You, you have no energy. But when you get joy back in your heart and cheerfulness back in your heart, what happens to you physically and emotionally and mentally? You're strengthened by it, aren't you? The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's why I go to his word every single day of my life. I'm in his word because when I'm in his word, the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. That's why I go to God in prayer as often as I can every day. Why? Because in being in fellowship with God in prayer and bringing my requests before him, what do I experience? The strength of the Lord, it becomes my joy. Why do I get around other Christians? Why is worshiping God together as community important? Because isolated, we get weak and we get picked off by the devil. But when we're together, worshiping together, as it's to be our habit and continuing that habit, what happens? We become strengthened by each other in our worship, in our fellowship, as we encourage one another as the day of the Lord is nearing. We do it in worship. We understand the joy of the Lord is my strength. Grace poured out. I remember, God's with me through this. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Yes, you do. God's with me through this. He is my mighty Savior. He's promised me that he will lead me through the paths of this life. And so we proclaim that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's why Paul says, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he has enabled me through this grace poured out to have this strength. In fact, he tells us that whatever he calls us to do, that he will enable us with the strength to do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Doesn't mean I can do everything. But anything that God calls me to do, any of those things that God calls me to do, I will do and can do, not by my strength, but by the grace poured out upon me strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this grace poured out on me. Listen to this one. Look at the next verse. Next part of that verse, rather. He now considers me to be trustworthy. He says, I can count on you. I can depend upon you. This is how he regards me, the strength that enables me, and this trustworthy. He entrusts me with the treasure of this grace. He put this grace in me. He entrusted me. See that? He considers me to be trustworthy. Who am I? <laughs> that he should count me to be trustworthy of this. I thank Christ Jesus that he considered me trustworthy. That leads me with that sort of idea of who I am. With that grace poured in me, knowing that he considers me to trustworthy, be trustworthy, that I say, God, you'll, I can, you can count on me. I will be faithful to you. And by your grace, I will be dependable. In fact, the Bible uses this word for trust. It's also the word steward or manager. Did you know that God has given you an assignment? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But God regards you so trustworthy that he assigns you, that he empowers you, he entrusts you. I think of two verses in Corinthians that bring this out. What does that mean? to be trustworthy. Well, first of all, notice in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, you have a treasure inside you. There's not a greater treasure inside your life. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The salvation of God through Jesus Christ, the grace poured out in us. We have this treasure where? Is it very secure? <laughs> it's in these jars of clay. Who's the jar of clay? Just raise your hand. You're that jar of clay, right? It's in you. 
Are you that secure? Are you that, are you that strong on your own? No. Why did he do it this way? Why? So that to show that this all-surpassing power, that's the value of the treasury, this all-surpassing power of God is from him and not from us. We're just a container. Grace poured into us. To be trustworthy, to be faithful and dependable, God has done this for me and poured his grace into me and given all this to me. What's my response to that? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. I notice the next verse. I'm going to be a faithful steward. God considers me to be faithful. I'm going to live by the grace of God to be faithful to him as well. Oh, this grace poured out gives me, enables me with this strength and entrusts me with this treasure. And then go back to this verse again in verse 12. He makes me useful. Notice, I'm appointed. He appoints me to his service. He equips me. I'm enabled. I'm entrusted. I'm e equipped. And you see this relationship, don't you? Grace to faith to works, just like we saw with Joshua. The grace, abundant grace of God. The overflowing love of God, the generous promises of God, all work together. Grace, faith, and works. That's the power of grace that's poured into us. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. See the connection. It's important. What I'm trying to make here, the point, is grace is not passive. Well, I was saved. I had the grace of God. Thank you, God. I'll see you in heaven. No, grace is the power, the strength, the equipping, the entrusting the assignment, you're to be useful. You have something to do that God's prepared for you. Notice this relationship, grace to faith to works. For by grace you've been what? Saved, how? Through faith. Don't start thinking it's on your own self because it's not, right? It's a what? See, it's a gift, right? Not of works. You didn't earn it because you go bragging about it. You tell everybody, look what I did. No, it's a gift, all right? So what does that mean? That grace to faith, I now understand that I am God's what? See it? I'm his what? Say it with me. Workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? When you're born again, you are a new creation. It's not your natural talent. It's not your skills. It's not your ability. It's not your intellect. When you're created in Christ Jesus, a new person, now you have an assignment. Now there's something to do that God's calling you to do. You're created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why this grace poured out in us is so important. It's his strength. It's his treasure, right? It's in service to him. And so here we are, enabled, entrusted, equipped by God for the very thing that he tells us he's going to do here. When I was lost, I was separated and hopeless and damned to hell. But through God, through his son Jesus Christ, I have been saved and rescued and reconciled. I am useful. I have a purpose that God prepared for me beforehand, and I'm going to walk in it faithfully. Amen? So that's what Isaiah experienced, right? You remember the story of Isaiah. He goes to the temple one day after King Uzziah, who had been reigning for 50 years, has died. And there in the temple, he experiences and sees the holiness of God. And here's the angels proclaiming that God is holy, holy, holy. To which Isaiah responds, Woe is me. I'm a sinful man. 
with unclean lips. And because of that repentance, God then sends an angel to cleanse and redeem Isaiah. And God and the angels are then talking about the mission. What are we going to do with Israel? Who are we going to send? To which Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You see, Isaiah got it, didn't he? I can be used by God because God has saved me. I'm no longer under accusation or guilt, but I'm free to serve. Now, you have an enemy. He's called the devil. Do you realize what Jesus said about the enemy? He said the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's your accuser. He's the one that wants to remind you that you are disqualified. God can't use you. Look at the mess you make. You're not always faithful or trustworthy. Think God can use you? You just, you just remind yourself that you're like Isaiah, and you repent before the Lord, and you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that the accusation's gone, the guilt is gone, the condemnation is gone, the grace appears, and the freedom is to live in it. Amen? And this is what he's given us. We are now in grace, saved to serve. Lord, I'm an instrument of your service. Use me. Use me in that way. Grace poured out gives me the strength, gives me the treasure, and gives me the service to be useful to him. What can I do for you, Lord, each day of my life? Where can I serve you? How will you use me? Now, listen, as we move into verse 13, we did get out of verse 12. You didn't think I was, right? But verse 13, you got to see grace poured out. It's access to God's mercy. To the mercy of God. Even though I once was a blasphemer, Paul says, and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He was shown mercy. Grace and mercy, like grace and faith, are, and works are all connected. Grace and mercy of God. Now, we talked last week that God is a just God and a right God. He's right and just in what he does. In the rewards he gives those who live by faith in Jesus Christ, he's right and just in the rewards that he gives us. He's right and just in punishing those to eternal damnation that refuse to obey Christ. And he's right and just in that punishment as well. Now, every one of us has fallen short and sinned before the Lord. So we all deserve his punishment, right? We all deserve to be lost. But here's where grace and mercy come into play. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Now, do you need God's grace? Do you need God's grace? Do you deserve God's grace? No. God, grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is God sparing me from what I do deserve. We've all sinned and fallen short of what? Glory of God. But Jesus tells us that through him, we have access to the Father, and we put our faith in him then God in his justice and rightness then brings his mercy into our life and he spares us from what we deserve. Thank God, amen, for his grace and his mercy. I want more and more of the grace and mercy of God. The Bible tells us that God's grace is greater than our what? Sin. Grace is greater than our sin. That God's mercies are new when? Every morning, we need the mercy of God every single day, don't we? Just like the sun comes up every morning, we need the mercy of God every day, don't we? 
God's grace is greater than our sin. God's mercy is greater than our sin. You see, it doesn't matter how big the sinner you are. That's the devil's trick. Well, you're just too big of a sinner. God can never save you. Oh, really? It's not how big you are as a sinner. You got to remind yourself that the greatness of God's grace and mercy is far greater than any sin that you could ever commit. Far greater than any sinful life you could ever live. And that's what Paul, in a very detailed confession here, tells us, right? Go back to this verse again. Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy. You know what Paul is saying? You should have heard my sinful words. I was a blasphemer. I slandered Jesus. I bore false testimony about Jesus. I was in the same group of people that told lies about Jesus at the trial. They blasphemed against Jesus. And in my life, I was also a blasphemer. My words were sinful. Not only were my words sinful, my actions were sinful. I was a persecutor of the church. Do you remember the story of Stephen as he's there telling about Jesus Christ being the, the Messiah that they, had, that they had rejected? People became so angry that they decide to stone Stephen. So they take their coats off and they stone Stephen to death. Do you remember who was holding the coats of the ones who were killing Stephen? It was Saul. Not only was he holding the coats, he approved of what they were doing. He wrecked havoc in the church of Jerusalem, dragging men and women into jail, trying to destroy the way he called it. Then he went to the, the temple. He said, I need some letters to go to Damascus, the city over. And there I want to take the temple guard with me and we're going to wreak havoc and destroy the way over there as well. A persecutor of the church. He said, I was sinful words and sinful actions. And then I had a sinful attitude. Then I had a sinful attitude. I was a violent man. It said he breathed murderous threats against the church. But not only that, he enjoyed doing this. He had a zeal for this, he says. I had a passion for this. The word violent here is the idea of the attitude, an attitude of violence. He couldn't wait to arrest another Christian. He couldn't wait to break up another family. He couldn't wait to destroy the church. He couldn't wait to inflict pain upon Christ's people. His attitude was, where's the next one? Where's the next household? If he had come to your house to arrest you as a Christian, you could not have negotiated with him. He wouldn't care what happened to your family that broke him up. He wouldn't care if you died in it. Because in his attitude, his mind was that of violence. My words were sinful. My actions were sinful. My attitudes were sinful. There was nothing about me that deserved to be saved. You tell me when your words and actions and attitudes have always been pure. Have your words ever convicted you? Have your actions ever convicted you? Have your attitudes ever convicted you? Paul says, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm not putting sugar on this. I'm not coating this. I'm not justifying this. I'm not bragging about all the great things I do as a, as a spiritual person. I'm telling you, I was totally and thoroughly lost, a blasphemer, a persecutor, 
and a violent man. But, here it is, I was shown, see it, mercy. I once was that way. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The grace poured out on me that gives me access to the mercy of God and what a mercy it is. How do you respond to that? You can't respond with that in pride. You can't say, well, I earned a little bit of that. Your response has to be that of humility, doesn't it? The humility of the response that's there. He saved me thoroughly and completely. As lost as I was, the worst of sinners, he saved me thoroughly and completely. And he says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hear that confession? I've heard sometimes before in the old days when people used to come forward. They would come forward and they would confess their sins. And sometimes a person would say, well, you know, if so-and-so there has that, there's no hope for any of us. Have you ever heard that before? That's about the most honest man I ever know. If, they, if he can do that, there's no hope for us. And they don't mean it, but what did they do? They diluted the confession, didn't they? person saying, no, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And Paul says, no, when I say I'm the worst of sinners, don't dilute that. As worse as I was as a sinner, I am saved thoroughly and completely for what Jesus Christ has done for me. Does that make sense? And the only way I can respond to that is with humility. And that humility is rewarded by God. You know, I think sometimes we think about the humble person and humility in our world, and we think of that as a weakness when really humility is a great strength, isn't it? It really is a strength to learning and knowledge and actions and friendships and relationships. Humility, humility is a strength. I, I like this statement. Humble yourself or life will do it for you. <laughs> isn't that a good one? You try walking through this life puffed up with pride and standing on your pride. And the proverb writer says, you do realize that pride goes before you what? Fall. And the old proverb writer also says that if your heart is full of pride, your life will be filled with pain. Hear that? So anytime I act out of arrogance and pride, I'm producing pain in my life. Humility, humbling myself. So I want to see an example of that. I want us to go to the Bible flannel boards. Remember those? The old flannel boards? So I'm going to put some pictures up here in just a moment. But this is the story of King Manasseh. I think he's a great example of how God can take the worst of a sinner and save them thoroughly and completely and create humility in that person. So the first picture I want to put on that flannel board is a picture of idol worship. King Manasseh became a king when he was 12 years old, and he spent his entire career up to this point immoral, cruel, perverse, practicing witchcraft, taking all the Assyrian gods of the nearby empire and forcing the people to create altars and bow down to those false idols. In fact, Manasseh sacrificed his own sons, some of his own sons, to these false idols. Now keep in mind, Israel is a nation of God. He's a king. Picture number two in the flannel board is the picture of 
him as the king of Assyria. He's a vassal king, which means he's only in power, he thinks, because Assyria lets him be in power. Assyria allows him to stay in power as long as he will do the bidding of the Assyrian Empire during that time. So he wants to stay in power. So he thinks his power is coming from the Assyrians. So he creates more and more evil, more and more witchcraft, more and more idolatry, leading them further and further astray, his people. Flannel board number three, Manasseh finds out the Assyrians had nothing to do with him being in power. It was God who had him in power. And God had enough of it. And he brought his wrath against King Manasseh. So he has the Assyrians come and take Manasseh, put bronze shackles on him, put a hook in his nose, and lead him out of Jerusalem hundreds of miles away to put him in the prison in Babylon, where he was destined to spend the rest of his life there. You know anything about the Assyrian war machine? They weren't much with grace or mercy, were they? Very cruel. And most kings they did that with ended up executed or imprisoned there for life. In fact, you can read in the kings of Israel, a couple others will end up over there as well. Manasseh's there. He's in prison far away, humiliated by his sin, by thinking that he had control of his life, found out that God was in charge. Flannel board, next picture. Here he is, King Manasseh, in prison, hundreds of miles away, humiliated, sorrowful remorseful, repentant. He goes before the God, the one true God. And he says, God, I repent. I repent. I confess my sins before you. He was honest. He was transparent. He talked about what a sinner he was. And God heard him. And God showed grace and mercy towards him. That's how great the grace of God poured out in our life is. God desires for everyone to be saved. But we must come to him in repentance. And when you will come to him in repentance, no matter if you're a Paul or Manasseh or just a good old David, right? He gives you mercy and grace in your time of need. Did Manasseh deserve this mercy? No. Did he deserve this grace? No. Did he need it? Absolutely. And God poured it out. So we come to the next picture on the flannel board. He puts Manasseh back as king. Who'd ever heard of that? He goes back this time. He tears down all the idols that he can. And he is restoring everything that he can. He's telling the people, worship the one true God only. Turn away from this idolatrous worship and this immorality. Then the very last slide shows him rebuilding the city of David. He rebuilds the altar of the Lord. It says there in Chronicles that he had committed his life to the Lord. The power of grace poured out on him. Brought him from that condition of sinfulness and loss and despair to one raised up again, right? With usefulness and humility. That's why I love James chapter 4, verse 10, because it's the same for us. Your story may not be as dramatic as Manasseh in your salvation or the story of Paul, but it's dramatic for you, isn't it? You once were lost, but now you're saved. Came in access, in contact with the mercy of God, and this is what God loves. When you humble yourself, before the Lord, he'll do what? He'll lift you up every single time. God's grace is so beautiful, poured out on us. Which means, as you look at the next verse, 16, he has a story for us to share. Paul says, here's his story. For this very reason, what very reason? That the worst of sinners was saved by mercy. That the worst of sinners was made a servant that was trustworthy with the strength to do it. He says, for this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners... 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Eternal life. See, many of us think that we have to be like a Jeopardy quiz genius to teach salvation to others. I got to know all the scriptures. I got to know everything about it before I can teach them. And what you find over and over again in the scriptures, it's not Bible Jeopardy. It's sharing their story. Here's the way I used to be. That's when I met Christ. And here's what I am now. See it? Very simple, isn't it? Sharing the story. Paul said, for this reason, this is the way I used to be. I met Christ. And now through his patience, him saving me is an example for others. And Paul's point was, if God could save me, the worst of sinners, right? Persecutor, sinful words and sinful actions and sinful attitude, he can save you as well. Amen? Share that story that you have. So that strength, that being trustworthy and useful in the mercy and our response in humility, there's another response we have, and Paul ends with it here, is the response of worship. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be what? Honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's response. That's what we're doing today, right? Grace poured out for us to worship and praise God every day of our life. He deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. Praise God that through Jesus Christ, that gives us the strength to put this treasure of salvation in us, to make us useful as a servant, to give us the mercy we need to live the life for eternity so that we can worship Him and praise Him, worship Him and praise Him all the days of our life. Amen? And be that for Him. This morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. If you need to be baptized or place membership or like the prayers of one of our elders, please make your way to the front bench and meet with Dale as together we stand and sing this next song.